Hey guys, welcome to Emotionally Immobile, where we learn to thrive and not just survive. I'm your host, Kayla. And I'm Natalie. And today we're going to be talking about the misuse of alcohol and its impact on our relationship with ourselves, with others, and with our community. Yeah, that's quite the personal one for me. I feel like when I look back on my many years of alcohol and substance abuse in general, it really negatively impacted a lot of my relationships with not just romantic, my friends, my family. And even though I'm in a good place now with most people at what will be six years in recovery this year, hey, yeah, I still think, you know, it's that process, right, of like self-forgiveness and um, moving through shame and guilt and learning how to have healthy relationships that don't revolve around alcohol. And yeah, I, I mean, it, it's such a broad topic. I mean, Natalie, I know as somebody who's also sober and then who is also, you know, a clinical psychologist, this is something I'm sure you've also had to talk about with your clients and then, you know. Oh yeah. The conversations never, never stop. Like I think substances are the, the things that so many of us use to find fun as well as like happiness. Like I don't really know if people actually have an experience of joy or fun without the inclusion of alcohol or any other substances. It's almost like we're afraid to have fun sober. So I'm here to encourage people actually to be their wild selves, you know, like learn to have fun absolutely sober. Because I can tell you that like dancing on tables while you're sober is a memory you will never forget. And it's so fun to have that memory and not lose it when you wake up the next morning and you're like, what the fuck happened? Where was I? Yeah. Well, well, when I think about it, right, it's like, and I think this was something that you, you typed up to me, or maybe I was reading something that you had written about like when we're younger and it's like hula hooping is fun, right? And going yeah. to the pool with our friends and like alcohol hasn't even like entered our, our orbit. That was like totally in imagination land. And then, you know, 13, 14 years old hits and alcohol is introduced. And then all of a sudden it just consumes everything. And I don't yeah. think this is fo- necessarily the truth for everybody, but I think it is for a lot of us who have struggled with alcohol misuse or substance misuse. It just becomes the center of your world and everything you do has to revolve around it, your social gatherings, your relationships, your your emotions, how you cope with things. And then you just find yourself in a place where you're like, how, how did I get here? And how do I do anything yeah. without alcohol being involved? No, a hundred percent. I think like also I come from a culture where alcohol is like incredibly used when it comes to celebrate, like the intensity mm-hmm. of the motion is just increased exponentially when you use alcohol. It's like a bonding agent almost. And I remember just like seeing that and in a way, yeah, it's like there are memories that are tied to it where, you know, it was me and my family like around the bonfire and whatever. But at the same time, I was like, God, like, what would it be like if we didn't have this? Right. You know, what if, would we be as fun? Would we be as wild? Would I find my dad as funny as he is being right now? You know, like that's just, yeah. it's just something where I feel like, you know, without it, without this bonding agent, like what kind of relationships would we have with people if this wasn't used as a additive, you know, as an extra or would we have an, Or would we have a relationship at all? Like or that was a, that was a big thing for me. Obviously family's family, right? Like we're stuck with some of them. But like when I stopped drinking, like I changed friends. And then as far as people I dated, I would never like, sorry to all my ex-boyfriends, not, not that they're bad people or anything. Right. But it's like, I think the, the person, a lot of us become when we drink is a separate version of our true selves. And my standards were lower when I was drinking. I was really looking for people who enabled my behavior. And then with friends, it was like, I was just looking for other people who drank the way that I drank or who wouldn't necessarily comment on the way that I drank. It was kind of that whole idea of like birds of a feather, you know, flock together. And so when I stopped drinking, it was really hard to find new friends or to try and hang out with my old friends because what I realized was we didn't really have a ton in common. There wasn't actually a lot of connective tissue. It was very surface 
um, level friendship or it was almost like trauma bonded. Like we had oh gotten in God. trouble together or, you know, romantically, you know, it centered around alcohol and then it became emotionally abusive or we were both really unwell and that, you know, and then drinking together and, and being together and comforting each other and enabling each other became the norm. And that's just the kind of relationship I looked for until they dumped me. You know, it was always, it was the same. No, I, I look at all my like, cause I got, I got sober at 23. So, you know, I didn't have a long drinking career, but it was heavy and also involved drugs. And so for me, it was like date somebody, totally run them into the ground. They would give me ultimatums. Don't, you don't get to drink anymore. We're not going to be together or you can only have this much. I do it for a little while get back into old behaviors, eventually they'd leave. And then I'd be on to the next person who didn't really know that I had those issues yet. And then it just kept going and going and going until I had kind of run out of <laughs> run out of people and my reputation preceded me. Um, yeah. I mean, with, for me, it was, I, I craved depth in relationships and I think in friendships as well. And I remember almost pressuring myself to drink because I thought that it was going to add depth to a friendship. And God, that felt so awful. Like I don't thinking back on it, I've had I just I've had so many fake friendships where I look at that and I'm like, God, that was such wasted energy and wasted time, which, you know, hell, like I'm not saying anything about the person. It just was something where I'm like, I wish I would have prioritized myself differently. Like I wish I wouldn't have lost my authenticity in order to gain quantity of friendships. It's it's all about the quality I think that I've learned. And I've learned also the value of being very real and very raw within friendships and actually noticing that that person values you for that rather than values you for how much fun you can bring into the situation or how much you can share, you know, cause trauma bonding. Yeah. I remember being mm-hmm. like, all right, if I get drunk with this person, I can tell them how, you know, how I had this car accident that almost like, you know, killed me. Right. Like, it's just like, I wish I would have shared that when I was sober, you know, instead of yeah. only utilizing that situation to, to share something that like, you know, obviously is, is heavy on the heart. So and it, I think it's, it's, it's so much more gratifying. And when you do have these conversations, like even like us, right? Like I've never gotten to meet you in real life, but like we've had such in-depth phone conversations that just like, we're so aligned. Like you're like yeah. my twin flame. Yeah. Um, my soul sister. Yeah. Yes. It, it's true though. But I, I think a lot of us, we feel like we need alcohol to find those connections, like romantic or friendship wise, right? Like, because yeah, who's going to accept me for me, like the true me that, that me that nobody else sees, you know, they say, what is it? It's like a Japanese proverb or something where it's like, we have three faces, the, Mm -hmm. the one we wear for the world, the one we wear for those who are close, and then the one only we see. And so it's this idea of nobody's going to accept that one that I only show myself but if I'm if I'm under the influence, it's a lot easier. Like, yeah, to just let me just trauma vomit on you, all of <laughs> all of <sighs> my stuff. But then in 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 sobriety, you realize you talk to people and you go deep with them, and you go, oh my god, wow! Like they get it, they get me, and it, it's not about substances; it's about true connection, true alignment, and it's it's real. And I think that's the difference. You just, you know, you just can't fake it. You don't doubt it. I think that was just something that I remember thinking to myself when I was amongst friends and I was sharing things and I was, you know, trying to be the fun person that, you know, the, the, the light, you know, and I was like, am I like, do these people like me? Like there was, there was just so much hesitation of whether or not the reactions or responses that I was getting were, was actually like authentic that the the person liked me. There was just so much doubt. And like the moment that you like 
get rid of that and you create like efficiency and you streamline streamline the whole entire you know process like now i don't even have that fucking question i'm like you know did i say something that i didn't want to say no i didn't i said everything that i wanted to say and this person actually responded to me in a way that made me feel seen or made me feel safe and then you know when i see that and i can accurately say yeah this this person actually saw me for my realest truest self in that moment I have so much more, I think like it almost like reliability increases in terms of just like your friendships, right? You're like, oh my God, this person's actually like real and reliable and I can count on them. And I, and I know that they are the person that they claim to be. They're not putting on a face, like you said, for, you know, for me in that moment, like, I don't know. That's why I love my sober chicks and, and, you know, again, sober dudes as well, like absolutely no hate, but like, you know. My sober, my sober peeps. Gal pals. Yeah, my sober peeps. Mm-hmm. Sober peeps. We vibe. What and I it? think we get each other. Like I think it's kind of one of those things like when you see somebody wearing like your college sweater, right? And you're like not near your college and you're like, hey, like I was literally in Rome a couple of years ago and I saw somebody wearing a Virginia Tech sweater and I was like, let's go, okay, <laughs> really loudly. And that person was like, hey, and you're like, what are the odds? Like, right? Like we're literally thousands and thousands of miles away from where Blacksburg, Virginia tech. Um, but it feels that way when you like meet another sober person or like vibe, I I have a sobriety tattoo and like I was in yoga the other day and this woman came up to me after class and was like, Oh, I see our friend of bill, which like, for those of you who don't know is like kind of a code in traditional recovery programs for people to ask like, Oh, are you sober? You're, are you an AA? And even though I don't do AA anymore, like I still consider myself a friend of bill. So I was like, yeah, I am. And so there was just an automatic, like, like connection, yeah. like, like just automatically. Yeah. And the weird thing was too, at the beginning of class, I felt connected to her, but I didn't know why. And I, I feel that way too, with a lot of sober people, you just know, or your people or, and it's to the opposite, the, the other way too, with when I go somewhere now and I see somebody struggling or drinking a certain way, I'm like, that's one of my people. Like they, they're an active addiction. Like you can just sense each other. Right. Energetically. There's just something that is very different. I feel like, I don't know. We, when we're so comfortable with our journey that we've taken in life to healing. It's almost pretty radical in the ways that we actually attract other people who've gone through that journey or who are currently on that journey. And we just are just like magnetic toward that. And I found that like the less that I included substances in my life, the more authentic my connections actually got. And it wasn't like I just, I learned like, that was probably one of the biggest motivators. I was like, fuck, like I want more real people in my life. Like, this is amazing. Like not having to put on a face. And like you said, you just, you, you have almost this immediate fast forward. You just feel like so pulled and it, I don't know, that's a rush. It's a rush, but it's a positive rush. It's not like the, you know, the kind of rush you get from, from alcohol or from using substances. It's a different one. It's far more real and it's, it's far more memorable. Well, and so. the longevity is there, right? Like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Not just 20 minutes of dopamine. You yeah, exactly. and I'm, I mean, right. Like this is just a whole, like I, I joke about it with my boyfriend because he drinks, which no hate, n- honestly, no hate. No, not at all. I am not anti-alcohol. I think do what, do what helps you heal. But I joke with him. I'm just like, I'm on a high vibration. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just, uh-huh, like uh-huh. yeah, you know, and whether it's high or low or whatever you want to call it, it's just a different vibration. Like I'm on a different vibration than I used to be. And that allows me to attract other people who are on a similar vibration or who are trying to be on yeah. that vibration too. It's so strange being the person that people are asking like, Hey, how do you, how'd you do that? Or like, you know, ask people ask you for advice on just sobriety in general, or, you know, like they assume you have your shit together, which is totally not true at all. <laughs> sobriety equals you're totally well-rounded, mature, like I'm- Yeah, no, no, I'm so like, human. I'm not so flawed. <laughs> the emotionally immobile. Yeah, um, right. But for sure, when it comes to my relationships, except I think especially with myself, I like myself now. 
I love myself now. And because I love myself and I like myself now, it also keeps me from wanting to go back to a place where I consumed alcohol in the way that I did because, you know, I get up early and I go to yoga. I, you know, have different, you know, self care practices. I, take care of my skin. I take care of my well-being and my mental health. I take my meds. I do all these things that because I've learned and I've educated myself on the topic to a point where I just know too much. And I'm like, well, you know, if I, if I drank tonight, yeah, I might not go do something cray cray like I used to, but you know, I'll probably forget to take off my makeup. It's going to make my skin break out. It's definitely going to enhance my anxiety the next day. I might get into a fight with my partner because even that's an issue now when he drinks, it, it still makes me uncomfortable. Even six years into sobriety, there's a level of, I just don't want to be around people who who drink to excess. It's just, it's not my lifestyle anymore. And, and that's a boundary that I'm learning how to set. But I think that that reminds me of something you said earlier, Natalie. And it's like, when I was drinking, it felt like, or I thought that I had like, an endless amount of energy to give people when in reality I was just constantly burnt out and like had, I had nothing to give, but now I know how to conserve my energy. I actually have way less than I thought for like social things and just being, being outside of my comfort zone. And I also know how to give it properly before I think I just would give it to anybody who would, you know, have my time. You know, like you said, I was just trying to make friends. I just wanted people to like me. I wanted, you know, some, whether that was romantic or or friendship wise now i'm i don't i don't give a fuck if everybody likes me or not you know i care if my how am i how my relationship with my partner is i care how my friends think of me and then i'm obviously you know i'm not like like walking in the room like a bitch like i don't care what anybody thinks of me like bad girl club style but it, there's definitely a level of like if somebody's judging me or if you know, I don't need to go give an explanation for my behavior and my actions all the time. And I can come home and I can reset and I do my own thing and I'm happy that way. And I, yeah. Oh my God. Like there's so many yeses. Like you obviously can't see me, but I'm like nodding my head like nonstop. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. To like everything because, you know, one, I like completely understand the feeling of being around people who drink in excess and just being so radically uncomfortable. Like once you actually know what it feels like to just stay grounded in yourself. And it, it just, it, I don't know. It, there's, again, absolutely like no hate and, and no judgment toward, toward people that choose that sort of lifestyle. For me, it doesn't, it doesn't align with me. It doesn't align the way that I want to love myself and the way that I want to see myself. And that's a personal choice that I made, but I'm not going to make anybody make that choice. If that's what they want to do, then they go do it. You know, I literally went to UW Madison where the binge drinking culture is like rampant, where you get up at like 8am and you, you know, you rally, like rally is rallying is a way of life. You can rally. You can rally. Yeah. Like it's, it's just like, but like I, but I can't rally, you know, like that's the thing. Like I couldn't rally. I was so fucking tired. And I, I think that's, that's what alcohol tried to do. It tried to convince me that I had this energy. It tried to convince me that I had these friends, this, this circle of people, but like I, I didn't, you know, and, and, to be honest with you, when you, when you get rid of that in, in your life, it is depressing. Like, I'm not going to say that it isn't like it, it definitely caused a little bit of discomfort for some people in my life. When I say, you know, no, I'm not going to be drinking or no, I'm not going to be getting this drink or whatever. Um, but I don't, I don't care. I don't do things for people anymore. And I think it's so it's, it's honestly kind of eye opening to actually live for yourself rather than living for others. And I think for me, the substance, any sort of substance use was a lot of it was rooted in doing it for another person or for the benefit of the situation, for it to be easy, for it to be, you know, for other people to, you know, to get along, to feel included, whatever, to not for basically just to be easy to understand to others. And I, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I just, I am complex. And you know what? I am totally comfortable in my complexity. So. Amen. Amen, sister. Mm -hmm. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I think now is a perfect time to introduce something new we're going to be doing this season, which I think is really exciting. 
which is answering questions from the community that they have sent us to our email. So let's go ahead and dive in there. Let's do it. All right, Miss Natalie, we have asked our community to send in some questions. So I'm going to ask you one first. I'm struggling in my marriage. Can you talk about how alcohol contributes to allowing us to continue to tolerate what we shouldn't be tolerating? I feel myself seeking to numb my emotions so I can stay married for my kids. I need help. Serious shit. I think I remember like, I I remember reading this question and just thinking to myself, like how, how bad is it? Right. Like at this, at this point where you're looking toward your kids as like basically this carrot that's going to anchor you in this marriage and that's going to keep you guys both very like rooted. I think one thing that I got to point out is like kids, no matter what, notice everything that you're going to, that you're doing. Like they, you may think that they're not focusing on how you're numbing, how you're distracting yourself. But at the same time, I think you're modeling behavior to them when it comes to dissociating from reality and just surviving. So I think when thinking about this question, what contributes to allowing us to tolerate? I think what contributes us to tolerating everything is the idea that like there's nothing better out there. Right. And so you're thinking that this is the best situation and you're not thinking about the idea that there might, that the, that your kids might actually enjoy you and enjoy your partner far more if you are separated. And I know that that's like a really hard thought to have of like going through separation or distancing yourself from your partner. And maybe you're not there yet, but also at the same time, I would not put up with something that's mediocre and something that occasionally even flows from good to bad just for the benefit of what having a partnership that looks like it's together, but it totally isn't. And your kids are also feeling that instability and you're feeling that instability, like the energy in that entire situation is just not good to keep you healthy. It's not good to keep them healthy. I think you guys are both going to be triggering each other and you might deal with issues that are going to be harder to deal with in the future than if you were to just make the decision right now to say, you know what, I'm going to do the hard thing. And I'm going to say, let's just take a break from one another. And, and I know that that's like a privileged idea, right? Cause maybe some people can't, you know, afford to do separation or get a, I don't know, get a hotel room for a couple of, you know, weeks or a month just to kind of put a little bit of distance to see if things would get better. But if you are privileged enough to do that, I would, because I think your kids deserve it. You're already anchoring them as like, your number one value in your life. So I think do the hard thing. Don't teach them to just merely survive through life by avoiding the things that trouble us. But, you know, if you also didn't have alcohol to numb, what would happen? Like, that's another thing that I thought about. If you didn't have that thing to numb you, what would the situation really look like? Like how destructive would it be? Because your kids don't have that substance to numb. Yeah. I mean, for me as a as a child of a product of not one but two divorces, I knew exactly what was going on all the time. Even if something's happening behind a closed door or upstairs, you know, silence I feel like sometimes speaks louder than the fights. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I would never tell anybody what to do in in their relationship, but I feel if you're being pulled in one direction and your intuition is telling you one thing, even though it's hard to do, that's usually the right answer. Yeah. I also think that like another, you know, thought of this is like how overwhelmed your sensory system must be that you are choosing to numb rather than actually get away. Like how exhausted are you at this point? of the situation? And are you actually accurately looking at it at like how fatiguing it is? Because you might think that you're like, okay, I do the, you know, bare minimum, right? I 
meet their basic needs. I, you know, feed them, I clothe them, I do all this stuff. But what makes relationships really count and what grows rapport is emotion. It is connection. Do you have enough energy to provide that for your kids and for your family? If you don't, it, it, it will be a hard choice. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I think this is something where you have to anchor yourself more into a future perspective rather than just the present of it looks better on paper to be there for your kids right now. It'll be much better for your kids if you can actually be fully present for them than, you know, half. But again, tough questions and um, a tough decision. Solely guidance, never something that's like, you know, go do this tomorrow. But don't teach patterns of behavior that you would not want your kids to practice. Yeah. Next question. Yes. Okay. So do you want to ask the next one? Yeah. I was going to ask you the next one. Okay. All right. The next question is, I've done an intensive 90-day alcohol-free program, which changed my relationship with alcohol and reduced the amount I drink. I've been listening to several podcasts, following several sober Instagram accounts for motivation, part of a sober squad, and also reading Quitlet. I consciously don't want to drink, but I can't put it down. I want to put it down forever, and I can picture my future without it. What can I do to just get over with it and step into a free life? I want it so bad. Yeah, I've I've been there. So I want the user, or fuck, sorry. <laughs> that's, I'm, that's a difficult place to be. And I know because I've been there and if you've ever read a book, it's called The Biology of Desire by Mark Lewis. And it's a neuroscience-based book. And it talks about why addiction is not a disease. And in this book, he talks about a threshold that we each have. And it's different for everybody. But we all have so many negative and so many positive experiences with a substance, right? So we're talking about alcohol here. And for some of us, we have to have just so many negative experiences with alcohol that it finally outweighs the positive to where it become it becomes like a disgust like you literally cannot imagine yourself picking up another drink again and you might be close to that right i f- i feel like for for many of us we quit drinking when we're ready but we don't know when that is, right? Like it's easy to say, I am ready. I don't want to drink anymore. And then you find yourself drinking or like, how how did I get here? But right. the fact there's so many, you know, the stages of change and being in that pre-contemplation, contemplation, action mode, like you you really feel like it really seems like you are in that contemplation ready for action mode, but there is something holding you back, whether that is a fear of the unknown you know, being comfortable in the uncomfortable. I think that a lot of us who struggle with alcohol use, we get comfortable in the chaos. And, you know, although alcohol hurts us, it also comforts us. And so we worry like when alcohol is not there anymore, are the people that are around us still going to be there? You know, at the end of the day, alcohol shows up, right? But the thing is the opportunities and everything else in our lives that you know, the relationships, the job opportunities, just being alive and being able to be present, those things aren't always there. And so I kind of always challenge people to remind yourself that like there, a prohibition is not coming, right? Like mm-hmm. alcohol will always be available, but these continuous life opportunities that we're missing out on because of alcohol or because of being hungover, whatever, you know, the consequences, they won't be. And so really focusing on you know, how do you make alcohol less attractive in your life? And I think just continuing to use all those tools in your toolkit, you know, reading, educating yourself on how alcohol affects the body, how it affects your mental health, continue to do things that you love, 
outside of alcohol and waking up each day and practicing gratitude for not being hungover. And you'll, you'll find yourself getting farther and farther away from that habitual drinking. And then it, it, it's hard to tell, right? I can't, I wish I could give you a day, but almost everybody who I know that doesn't drink had that moment. You just wake up and it feels different. And it's that moment of enlightenment that goes, you know what? Like I, that threshold fight, you, you finally cross it. So all I can say is keep those building blocks, like keep doing those hobbies, keep, you know, building that life for yourself that alcohol doesn't fit into. And one day you're going to wake up soon and alcohol is not going to fit into it at all anymore. Right. And yes, I'm there. So keep that in mind, keep faith and, you know, keep showing up. I completely agree with you. I think like a really good point that you made is like looking at your life from a perspective of like, you know, this, this person said, I want it so bad. Right. And motivation. A lot of the time we think about it as like, we have to first have motivation to then do the thing. And I was reading like a ton of research and I always tell a lot of clients that I work with that motivation does not come without action. So you're reading all this stuff, you're, you know, participating, you're avoiding situations and events and people that might actually trigger you to keep drinking. And I think those are the actions that you need to keep paying attention to of like how much you're doing in order to distance yourself from this substance. The, the thing is, is that you're giving a lot of power to the substance and we got to shift that power dynamic. Like you are more powerful than this thing. It is just merely a substance. And yes, it's probably wreaked havoc in your life and has probably caused relationships to, you know, to, to falter, to fail. I mean, it could even be relationships with others and relationship with yourself, but ultimately you have to believe. And I think you have to commit yourself to the belief that you are far more powerful than what the substance has done to you. And you also have to almost commit to a future in which you become the person right now that you want to be. So what are the actions that you're doing? What do you do on the daily? What do you, um, what are your habits? What are your skills? How do you enjoy the day? Like start visualizing yourself, but then also start actually practicing. You might not be like totally ready and it might feel extremely uncomfortable to do those things. You're like, oh, yoga, fuck. Like, I don't want to be doing yoga every single day right now. Maybe I don't feel like it, but like, give it a try. Do it for two weeks. Even if you fucking hate showing up at that studio and you're like, God damn it. I don't look like any of these people, nor do I actually enjoy this. Start meditating. Even if it's for like five minutes, you might be like, this is complete BS. Like I don't see the purpose of it, but like the person that you're envisioning that has a life and maintains a life that is without substance you have to become that person somehow. And that's, that's even by faking it to become it. Another thing that I thought about for this um, specific person is the idea of our subconscious. And I know this goes into so many different like theoretical frameworks. And I don't know if this person is, you know, seeing a therapist or not, but a really great place to also start would be doing some work on what is still part of this person's subconscious? What are memories that are avoided, that are repressed, that are suppressed, that might keep you tied to this substance, even if it is because of fear? So, you know, a great thing, and I know not everybody like looks into this, but EMDR is a really great place to start if you've also are kind of like, I'm at my wits end right now and I need you know, something to kind of jumpstart my brain. Like I always tell users, like it might sound a little bit nerve wracking to do it because, you know, biofeedback is not something like regular talk therapy is just, it's more common than, you know, tying um, your body into it, but meanings and memories are held in our body. And I think it's really important to let your body let go of who you were and that like shed that old skin basically. And I think that that's, that tool is a really great one to utilize if you haven't utilized it yet. Just almost experience yourself differently. Like that dead weight. Go with what you said too about envisioning that future self. I think sometimes if you can't even see past today, like I I, I use fictional characters sometimes when I'm in like a place and I'm like, 
I literally will be like, what would Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy do? Like, you know, she's she's obviously a fictional character. And if you don't watch Grey's Anatomy, she's basically just like a total badass, like confident, independent, knows what she wants. And I asked myself, like, what would she do in this situation? How would she handle it? You know, so find yourself kind of that role model and ask yourself, like, well, how would this person handle this situation? Would they... Would they set a boundary here? Would they allow this, you know, person to be talking to them like that? And yeah, it's kind of that fake it till you make it and kind of you you become that. You have to evolve and transform somehow. And so that's okay if you kind of, you know, for that moment become Christy yeah. Hanger, you know, become that character. And uh, I, I love find that. that. I, <laughs> It's kind so of a, I fucking totally love that. that. I like hundred percent every time I'm stressed to talk to somebody. I'm like, all right, just just pretend you're an actor. That's it. Like close your eyes and literally just pretend that you're assertive, even though it's so fucking hard for you. Totally. But I think it's really important to utilize that strength of even like imagination. Like if you were to completely imagine yourself as a different person, a person that you like, um you hold to a high regard you, you that inspires you like fuck man like wake up every single day and look at their picture i don't know envision ask them like like you said ask yourself yeah. what they would do and even just use them as somebody that guides you to do that but i mean i want to give this person hope because i love that they are so fucking passionate like you could just feel in the way that they said it you know of like i really want to do this i i want it so bad like you have that energy, you have that commitment, like actually start believing that you can get yourself there. Cause there's a part of you that I feel that is very uncertain of whether or not you'll be able to live a life without it. And that's just something that you have to, you got to root yourself in, in your strength and you have to see your strength before you see your weakness. Yeah, absolutely. So I had another person who asked, They said, I started this journey in October and I was doing well for a month. My marital problems came to a head back in August. And since then I've been dealing with the, do I stay or do I leave decision, which is the most stressful as you can imagine. The problem is I know my drinking has affected my marriage many times in the past, but I'm starting to understand a bit more about why those incidents occurred. Number one, because I have alcoholism, but I also know that I've been triggered by my partner's anger and emotional abuse. We are both responsible for our damaging our relationship, but I'm at a breaking point. He said that if I don't get my drinking under control, he's done. And part of me thinks I've been self-sabotaging my relationship because it's easier than admitting that we don't work. Another part of me feels like I'm making an excuse, but I have a gut feeling and have for many years that we just don't work. I've been sober for months in the past, and looking back, I didn't feel much closer, so I don't think my alcoholism is the main reason for my current dilemma. Should I stay sober for a week at least, just show him that if I decide to leave, it wasn't because I chose alcohol over him, or continue my cutback journey and hope that I can come to terms with my feelings, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's that's fucking tough. Anytime that there's like... I think emotional, first I want to say like, obviously both humans in this situation and, and humans are so flawed and they also vary so much in like the type of love that they can give from moment to moment, you know, like one day we'll wake up and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally going to be this person's cheerleader. And the next day you're like, you know what? I don't really like your face. I'm going to pick on you. And so like, it's, it's so hard because you've obviously been with one another for a while and you've seen each other through so many different things and being in a situation in which both of you are triggers for one another, you know, you may be a trigger for his emotional abuse, which by the way, you know, totally not fucking allowed. Like I do not stand for that, but somebody's drinking can definitely, you know, push another person past their, graceful character, I guess, you know, how much grace they can actually give for another person and his emotional abuse toward you, you know, whether it's language, whether it's the way that he sees you or talks about you or refuses, you know, refuses to help you or refuses to believe in you. That's also a massive trigger in in you continuing to either 
doubt yourself or, you know, your, your decision to even stay in the marriage just because you want to actually prove that this person is wrong. And I think that like, like I would never say, let your ego win in this situation. Like, don't, don't just do something to prove a person, right. Do something that's actually like good for you that actually fully choose kindness towards yourself rather than being and proving somebody else wrong or right. And I think knowing that you have already been sober for a while, I mean, 60 days is, it's, it's not a short time. I don't know what another week would do, you know, and that, that might be extremely like, you know, rigid advice, but at the same time, like, I don't know how, what, like, what else are you trying to convince yourself of? Like, is this person actually a person that's going to help you achieve the version of yourself that you are trying to go after, that you're trying to chase after? There's this actually, I, I, I love this, and it comes from Native American culture that says that no tree has branches that are foolish enough to fight themselves. And when you think of yourself as like a couple, right? And you're supposed to be this like rooted, you know, hard rooted tree, the solid foundation, right? Like you're essentially like fighting yourselves. You're essentially creating more destruction for each of you to move past, to fight past. And that just causes and wastes energy. Like why waste that energy? We only have a certain amount. So and this is not me trying not to be empathic in this situation. Like not at all. I know it's probably very difficult and you struggle with it. But if your intuition already tells you that this is something where this person doesn't even have the belief that you can achieve this self-actualized version of yourself, distance is the best at this at that point. You deserve to be able to see yourself and to see yourself through, I think, to achieve everything that you want. And I think also that person deserves peace, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been both parties. I've been in my active addiction. I've been emotionally abused. I've been the abuser, but no matter what the situation, like Natalie said, the first step and really the, the only first step available is is to put distance because when you're actively triggered by something, there's just no situation in which like continuing to be yeah. around each other is a good idea. And this is just my personal evaluation of when I looked back at my past relationship that was an unhealthy and toxic relationship. And I asked like, why did I stay so long? Like what kept me kind of, you know, just what kept me there. And I think part of that, and I see that in other people as well, is I had this idea in my mind that because it was just not a one-way street, right? Like it wasn't that mm -hmm. that person was totally at fault and I was a 100% victim. You know, I also had a role in a lot of our issues and it may not be 50-50, right? But this is not a tit for tat thing. What I kept what I what I realized later on was that I felt so undeserving of yes. a healthy relationship that I continued to stay with this person who was I was unwell, they were unwell, we were unwell in different ways. And so at, at no point are two unwell people are going to help each other get well, right? No. Uh, the blind leading the blind, but we found solace in each other. And but but part of us believed we didn't deserve any better. So we stayed and we also enabled each other's bad habits and bad behaviors. So we stayed. And a big part of why I realized later I stayed was because I had a really deep belief that he and I were so similar and we were, and that if I couldn't love him and I couldn't be with him and I couldn't fix him and we couldn't fix each other and we couldn't get through this together, right. And come out on the other end, this triumphant you know, story of the underdog and we've come through so much. Failure wasn't an option. And I, I believe that if that if we couldn't do that, that I was unlovable too. Like that if he was undeserving and if I couldn't make that work with him, then 
why, why would I, how, how could somebody love me? Because we're the same person, you know, I saw this mirror image of myself and him. But what I also didn't realize is that's not necessarily true. Because I was somebody who was trying to get sober at the time I was going to meetings, I was doing things. And I was in that action slash contemplation mode wasn't really, really ready to put down the drink 100%. But I was a lot more ready than my partner was. And mm-hmm. my partner also had no intention of going to therapy, had no intention of really changing where I, when I looked at myself, I said, I, I, I have to do something different. I need to be different. I can't just keep being this person. And so I realized like, we're not the same, you know, and we have to learn how to forgive each other for what we've done to each other in the past. But especially when you're trying to heal yourself, you need to either be with somebody who supports your journey and isn't, you know, kind of holding things over you that you've done in the past. And I say this now as the partner that I'm with currently knew me when I was in active addiction and we had somewhat of a relationship, but he wouldn't move further with me into something serious until I did get sober because he didn't want to be with somebody who clearly was not ready for, you know, an emotional responsibility, which was smart. Yeah. But I'm I'm really happy that I was able to when I really was ready to to get sober and to recover, I I did it by myself and for myself um, alone. And I I didn't have to worry about anybody else's. I wasn't responsible for anybody else's emotions or well-being. And I needed that because I needed to 100% focus on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I didn't need somebody breathing down my neck and reminding me how shitty I used to be or how much I drank or remember when you did this. You know, there's, I think there's a, a time when you just, something is so broken yeah. And you have to really ask yourself, like, is this continuously worth trying to piece it back together? Or is it kind of like Lady Gaga, you know, in that in the music <laughs> video where she says, you know, like, you can fix the mirror, but you're still going to see the fucking cracks every time you look oh my at God, it. Yeah. And at some point, it's so broken that you literally can't even see your reflection. And so it's just. No, that's like really powerful. I mean, like, I remember I was in this. um I would say like very unhealthy relationship. And I mean, I was a serial dater, so I I loved being in relationships and, you know, maybe that's part because I'm a Libra. Maybe that's part because I was raised to literally constantly be of service to other people and, you know, think of that as that's like the most valuable thing, but I crave to be something to someone. And so I would hold on to those, to those relationships just because that that's what I would draw. I would draw upon those relationships to like, basically think of how I would think of myself and, I remember sitting at one time in a therapy session and my therapist at that time, you know, looked at me and was like, why are you trying to put something back together again that you keep cutting yourself on? And I was like, oh my God, staying in something is also self-harm. It is also a version of self-harm if I choose to not even do anything, right? And I have to be responsible for my actions as well as my inactions because they do reflect how I feel about myself. And I also think that it's extremely powerful of like the language and the narrative that we surround ourselves. If this person is literally talking down to you and is constantly filling you up with words that are not affirmative, how are you supposed to think anything different about yourself? You have literally yourself right in this relationship and you're battling not only your thoughts that are critical because we all have that critic within ourselves, but then you're also battling somebody else's critical thoughts about you. Like that's a fuckload of work that like, just don't take that on. Like that, that it's, it's, if you want to stay healthy, if you want to get healthy, I mean, and that's whether it's with substance, without substance, I mean, shit, you know, for me, it was literally like anxiety. Like I had to know myself without anxiety because it was so destructive for me at that time that I was like, I'm, I'm so tired fighting this person and then fighting my anxiety and my panic attacks about this, that I'm just like, fuck, I'm just, I'm going to separate myself from this because I need to know a life where I'm not constantly battling so many different enemies that I keep in my life. Literally. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I think it goes 
for people and for drinking, I think it doesn't have to be this binary thing, right? Like the same way we don't tell ourselves, like, I'm never going to drink again. Because the moment you tell yourself that, you freak yourself out. And then you're like, oh, I don't know if I really can, you know, we take it one day at a time. I would do that same. I had the same mentality with my relationships. I would go, you know what? I'm going to separate myself from this person. Maybe in the future, we'll be able to be together. Maybe we'll both be able to work on ourselves and find each other. And this past relationship that I had before the one I'm in now, I genuinely thought that we both kind of got sober on our own, but then that person went back out and they continue and still continue to live that lifestyle that we did before that just will right. will always and will probably lead him to an early death, honestly. But then here I am now with my my current partner, who is that person who's been in my life on and off for 10 years, you know, ironically, right, where I never thought I would be deserving of a healthy relationship or be in one where somebody understood me and who did know my past and has seen me in action, but understood that I'm not that person anymore. And so I think, you know, it's scary to think, oh, does it have to be like, we have to go get a divorce or like we have to, you know, it, it can be a separation. It can be taking a break. It can be staying at a friend's. Like it can be whatever you need it to be for now and then allow yourself whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, to reevaluate the situation because I I always give everybody a chance. Like, yeah, you don't you don't know that your partner could evolve, you could evolve, like it could turn out. You could, you know, like, but don't worry about that for now. Right now, worry about you and allow yeah. your partner to worry about them. And then when you're both in a healthy place, if you're both ever in a healthy place, that's where you can come back together and move forward. But it's just, you're never going to be able to get better if you are unwell and they are unwell. So. No. What do they say? Hurt people, hurt people, right? It's like, it's that. And we repeat, we repeat, but we don't repair. And you cannot repair something when you are constantly triggering this person into anger and their anger and their emotional abuse is constantly triggering you to drink. And it's just this nasty cycle and I'm sure you both lo- love each other, but they're you love and hate, right? Are not right. of the spectrum. They're very close, and so removing yourselves for each other and understanding, if I love this person, and I re- and I really do, I need to take space. I need to let this go right now to work on myself, to allow them to work on themselves, because I do hope that it works in the future, or I do, or regardless of whether it works, I want to be happy and I want them to be happy, and whatever yeah. that looks like. But I know that in order because I love this person and I continue to trigger them with my drinking, I need to remove myself. And so I had to learn that too with my past relationship. If I really loved this person, I needed to step away and stop enabling the bad behavior on both ends. And if they're not going to do it, you have to, you have to be the, you have to be the adult in the relationship and you be the one to step away. You know, I think something that's really powerful is guiding yourself and rooting yourself in the idea of finding a love that has no to minimal judgment. I think that we overlook that sort of love that makes us feel safe. And right now there's, there's nothing that makes you feel safe. That environment is unsafe. And so you're not going to feel safe toward yourself or toward your partner. And I'm not saying that you guys won't ever be able to get back together. Right. But distance will allow the judgment to decrease and you deserve to see yourself without judgment and constantly battle that judgment. You deserve a reality where you see yourself in a new light rather than just how the person has seen you for the last, you know, however many years. Like we evolve. Yes. Yes. Good, good shit. All right. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. All right. Let's do let's do this one. I'm trying hard. Sorry, give me a minute. All right. I'm trying hard to get sober and it just never seems to work. What's wrong with me? I don't have anyone to talk to or depend on that knows how hard it is to give up alcohol. What do I do? Yeah. Well, I know it. I know it feels like 
when you're in that space that there is nobody else that understands you and that nobody else could possibly know what you're going through. But there are hundreds of thousands of and millions of us who are out here who have been where you are, who are where you are. And it's it's hard to find us, right? We don't have a gang sign. <laughs> you know, although some of us walk around and we may maybe we're wearing like sober merch, right, or something, but we still we're still not in a culture yet in which, you know, like you walk around and you clearly know this person's into fitness. Like, oh, my fitness peeps, you know, they're wearing right. Nike or Lulu or tennis shoes or whatever, you know. It's harder to to spot a sober person in the wild, right? And I'm always like, what is in their drink? Like, does right? it look like a cocktail? What did you order? <laughs> what um, you order, ma'am? <laughs> you know, and unless you're going to, you know, maybe traditional Alcoholics Anonymous meetings or something like that, then it can be really hard to find your people. And especially what I found in the past was I personally had nobody in my immediate family with my parents and my siblings that struggled with any substance abuse. So I was like, I don't, and it wasn't something I was ready to, and I think, I think everyone near me knew, right? Like I was not an under the cover, under the table closet drinker. Like I was out there, but I didn't know anybody that was sober, at least not openly. And so it felt very isolating. And when I got sober, there wasn't there wasn't a ton of options like there are now. And so it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but I really think that putting yourself out there on social media can be extremely life-changing. And I've seen it happen. And there's a really powerful community on TikTok, on yeah. Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit. And we can put some of these links in our episode description as well. But, you know, we're living in an age where a lot of things are remote. COVID's still happening. The, the world is like in chaos. And so going to a, a physical place isn't necessarily always safe. Maybe that's just not what you're looking for. So a great place to start, and I tell this to people all the time who reach out and ask, is you know, creating a, a sober or sober curious account, whether that's Facebook, like I said, any of the any of the possible platforms where you can put as much information about yourself or as little, right? You don't have to even put your real name. You don't have to put a photo. Like it can just be an account mm-hmm. that you can follow other accounts. You can follow mocktail accounts. You can follow sober Instagram communities and pages and people and start to, you know, educate yourself on the lifestyle and and also understand, oh, oh my gosh, there's so many people out there from young people to old people, uh, oh, to wow. everybody in between. And people are really loud and proud about it. It's not this thing that's super anonymous anymore. And so maybe in the beginning, it's going to feel like I don't know anybody immediately right where I'm at that is sober, but they're there is. Like I promise you, unless you live in an igloo by yourself in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> that there are sober people around you. And tons of these large sober pages, like A Thousand Hours Dry, Sober Girl Society, they're always putting out these posts like, hey, drop your location. Where are you at? And there's also other subgroup pages that are like geographic specific. So you can find people in East Coast Sober Squad. You can find these groups and they all, a lot of them have like community meetings and stuff. And I mean, that's literally how I've genuinely, I have a, like a girl gang now and I'm living in Orange County. You know, I just got to see, I just got to see them yesterday and get, and get, get coffee for Esther from Sober Otter. Shout out for her one year of sobriety. Uh, and it's been so rad because I'm a super introvert. I'm not somebody who, unless under the influence, is going to go up to somebody and be like, hey, do you want to be friends? Especially because I'm like 30, you know, and this is not kindergarten. And it's it's harder to make friends when you're an adult. And especially when you're not drinking and you can't like do that like whole bathroom, like, oh my God, I love your hair. Let's (laughs) make friends. And that's how I used to make friends. Um, But now it's it's, I've made connections online and I found like, oh my gosh, there's actually a ton of people around me that don't drink. Let's get coffee. Let's let's do friend dates. And then all of a sudden, I've I had one, and then I had another, and then we got together as a group. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I have like a whole 
group of friends like who who doesn't drink and we can enjoy doing non-alcohol centered things together and that's everywhere and you, the thing is you just have to take that first step in putting yourself out there and like i said you don't even have to you don't have to put a photo of yourself you don't have to you can be completely anonymous like actually anonymous <laughs> and then as you are ready as time you know It's been cool for me as somebody who's been part of the sober online community since it kind of started. It's really, there's nothing cooler than watching somebody who was totally anonymous. And then all of a sudden they put their name one day. And then all of a sudden one day you see what they look like. And then, you know, like you're like, oh my gosh, you know, they're coming into their own. It's kind of, it's almost like a coming out process. Like it. Oh my God. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Um you just have to take that first leap and it's a little bit uncomfortable, but the sober curious and alcohol free and recovery community is so inviting. And we are just the the newcomer as you know, the new person you're, you're the most important person in our community, you know? So we're, we're here for you and, you know, we're excited, you know, to guide you home, to guide you where you need to be. So yeah, to belonging. Right. Yeah. And you absolutely do belong. And just know, even if it doesn't feel like it, there's a whole world out there of people who totally get you and we're just waiting for you. So, yeah. Come find us, right? Yeah. We're yeah. here. I think, yeah, connection, I feel like it makes you feel so less alone. Um, I mean, that's 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 pretty damn obvious. But also the idea that somebody can can even say like, oh, I know how that feels because I went through something s- similar. Like that is so empowering to to somebody that is like growing to um, like a, kind of like shedding layers of themselves. Like it, it feels so freeing to find somebody that I, you know, almost like identifies as you and it, it like becomes something where you're like, oh my God, I'm not only going to do this for myself, but I'm going to do this for these people that I know and that you know, have my heart and that I obviously care about so dearly. Like the more that you surround yourself with people, I think you're going to not only become way more responsible for yourself, but you're also going to choose actions that are also going to be like modeling behavior for these other individuals. Cause you're not going to want to let them down. Like you guys have a shared value system. Like that's something that I really, I think what I've found is, you know, for the people that are you know, sober and I, I am sober. I I choose to be sober and that, and that's just because it just makes me a healthier individual. And it like, it's, it's kind of like when people are like, why, why would I eat gluten? Cause it makes me feel shitty. Like, why would I drink? Because it makes me feel shitty. Like I'm, I'm not trying to say I'm not fun. Like you'll find me dancing on tables, like completely sober. So like, (laughs) you know, come find me if you literally want to go out and like, I will a hundred percent be like the, the party, but like, the idea is that like you also have a value that like grounds you and grounds both of you grounds all of you and that is that you're choosing yourself over something that makes that kind of takes away authenticity from you and i think that that was something that i experienced like i love who i am when i'm sober i don't want to change that like i love how fun i am i love how stupid and weird I am. Like, (laughs) I love how awkward I am when I'm sober. Like, I would not exchange that for feeling less of that when I am, you know, under the influence or whatever it may be. So I think grounding yourself and rooting yourself in your community, I think that's hella fucking important, especially when you're, you know, starting out when, you know, whether it's just the beginning of your journey or the middle of your journey, but then also to your to your comment about like what's wrong with me? Nothing's fucking wrong with you, you know? Like don't be your there's so many other people out there that are probably going to say, "Oh, well, you can't do this. You haven't been able to do this." Like don't become another person that doubts your ability. Like something that we have to remember about substances is that they they impact our neurocognitive processes so much. And it is so invisible to us that we become like, we have these high expectations 
for ourselves that no matter what, we're going to disappoint ourselves. Because like when we set this sort of standard of like, oh, well, I'm never going to drink alcohol again. Like I'm never going to be influenced by somebody else to do it. Or I'm never, you know, going to go to a bar and order another drink that that's just unrealistic. Like don't, don't start thinking that somehow the way that your substance use has impacted you thus far is not going to like you are literally redoing all of those changes that that substance has done to you and, and it has also like the memories of that substance that you hold within yourself of yourself so you're undoing all of that you're unbecoming and that like takes a really long time because the change that has happened is invisible to us so it's almost like a wound that you cannot see you can't know how long the healing process is going to take. So don't set an expectation around that. Don't think, oh, by you know the second month, I should just completely not even be thinking about that. I shouldn't even have a thought about this. Like, no, fuck that. Like, don't set any expectations around it. Just take day by day and honestly keep reminding yourself that you're undoing changes that you can't even see. And that takes a fuckload of time and commitment and just like overall, like I, I I just feel like stamina, honestly, to do that. Um, so I, I wanna I want you to I wanna just encourage you to just stop, drop the whole narrative of what's wrong with me. Like there's there's nothing wrong with you. You're just you're undoing and unbecoming a lot of things that have been, you know, invisible to you. And that's why I think maybe you have that sort of pressure and you're putting a lot of pressure around it. So yeah tough shit, but you know, not impossible. No. Yeah. All right. That's time. We're at our end. Thank you guys for listening. If you're still here, be sure to follow us at emotionally immobile at our Instagram. The email for podcast questions is in the bio. So make sure to submit your cues down there. And as always, please like comment, subscribe, all the good things. We'll see you next week.